Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, we talk about civil liberties and religious freedom with lawyer Lisa Bildy, Pastor Aaron Rock, and Pastor Henry Hildebrandt. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. As you've no doubt realized during the last two years, this show has had to devote a lot of attention to civil liberties, and part of that has been because there's been no shortage of material in people trying to, and in many cases succeeding, in trampling on civil liberties. I wanted to focus on one of those in particular, I guess a couple of related ones, at the core religious freedom, but within that we also have freedom of speech, freedom of association, all of these things that are supposed to be hallmarks of a free society. We've got a panel of people that have very direct experience with how this has been unfolding in Canada, specifically in the province of Ontario. I'm joined by Lisa Bildy, a lawyer and the founder of Libertus Law, Henry Hildebrandt, who is the pastor with the Church of God in Elmer, Ontario, and also Pastor Aaron Rock of Harvest in Windsor. Thank you so much for being with me. It's great to talk to you all. You're welcome, Thank you, Andrew. So let me start with you, Pastor Hildebrand, because you and I spoke back in, I think it was April of 2020, when the pandemic was relatively new, and even something as simple as having a church service in the parking lot of your church, a, a drive-in church service, was raising alarm bells with the local police. And at a certain point, you won that battle. The government said, no, 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 drive-in's fine. But did you ever imagine then that less than two years later, you'd have been locked out of your church, had hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of fines heaped on you. Did you ever imagine then that that was where this was headed? Andrew, not at all. Not at all. I would have never imagined that. Uh, I thought back then uh, they would realize that the importance of it was and how important the church services were to us. So I never thought it would go like this. Never at all. And, and same question to you, Pastor Rock. I know you've been very outspoken uh, about a lot of these measures and the effect they've had on your church. Windsor in particular has oftentimes been a bit more restrictive than the province as a whole has. D did you see things going where they've ended up going? Well, not in the first couple of weeks. I, I sort of uh, hoped for the best, assumed the best of our, our officials. But when we started to see them backpedaling, changing, adding to orders, um, public officials flagrantly violating the ROA during the same periods of time when they were charging men like myself. And then I, I started to grow increasingly concerned about, you know, where this was all leading. And of course, now we're in a situation that's unimaginable. I mean, the many of the quote unquote conspiracy theories have now very much become true. Lisa, you and I have spoken about these issues and a number of others on the show and and off the outside of the show in the past. And and I I know that you're kind of in a paradoxical position because you would love to not have the workload you do. You would love to not have as many of these things that need your intervention. Yet here we are. Well, it's been relentless. I mean, I'm uh, I'm operating most nights on about five hours of sleep because it's just been one problem after another. I mean, you know, I sort of anticipated that this would not go well, although I don't think that I anticipated how badly back in March of 2020, it was immediately concerning that you could simply not flip a switch on a complex society and not expect to have massive repercussions. And I still remember kind of a feeling of shock that we would even attempt such a thing. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you know, and, and by the way, we threw out all the pandemic plans that we would normally use to, to deal with 
with situations like this, which all require us to take into account all of the social determinants of health, as they say, in public health, you know, and that means keeping people's lives as normal as possible uh, and restricting people's uh, comings and goings just to the minimum and regionally focused and all those kinds of things. We threw it all out the window. And, you know, I think, honestly, the last two years have been uh, a function of trying to dig back out from all the fear that was perpetuated early on to get people to comply. And it's not going very well. Uh, it's really not going well. And I'm, I, I just, I sit in shock and amazement every day at how much worse it's gone. I want to talk about some of the bigger picture aspects of this, but I also want to get a bit of a status update because I know we've been uh, covering uh, your case, uh, Pastor Hildebrandt, and your church as well, Pastor Rock. So I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Pastor Hildebrandt. Where are things now? I mean, have you been able to get into your building? Uh, what legal battles are you facing? I, this might take up the whole show, so perhaps the, the top line on summary of just where things are right now. So right now we are in our building. We're allowed to be in, of course, Ontario just now, again, was it last week, uh, said again, well, that was just for certain towns here in Southern Ontario, where it's back to 50% of capacity. Uh, that's what they are saying at this point. What we are back in the building, we did end up having to pay uh, the $274,000 because they were, um, of course, the judge ruled that they were going to get go af after us. Um, whatever it would take. Um, single moms get there, uh, take their assets or young families, whatever it was. And that's where we drew the line in the sand. We said, no, we're not going to let those families go under, so to speak. So, And it was crowdfunded. So the money did come in. The monies have been paid. But I'm hoping that, uh, that, that we have not seen the end of that because it is extremely, extremely hard to see that that would be happening in Canada uh, extremely unfair and wrong, in my opinion. And same question to you, Pastor Rock. Where are things now, just in the, the landscape of what you've had to go through? So we're in our building. We're we're operating. We're doing we're doing ministry. Many people's lives are being positively impacted. Uh, in terms of all the court charges and whatnot, those are sort of all in limbo. I haven't heard much about those for a little bit, so we're just waiting on that. But beyond the four hundred thousand dollars in fines that I personally face. My bigger concern is that a lot of our people have lost their jobs. People that are career engineers, hospital executives, nurses, even a local physician. So we have several people in our church that won't show their papers, so to speak. And so we have a, a little bit of a, a concern for some of them. Some of them are finding work elsewhere, but the the fines to, to my myself personally are one thing, but what really breaks my heart is so many good people that have been working municipal government and whatnot for many, many years. Seasoned police officers have been tossed out on their ear with no recourse. Yeah, and, and that actually raises a question I wanted to put to you, Lisa, which just shows just the, the sheer inconsistency and, and callousness of a lot of these assaults on religious freedom. Because what we've been going through in society for the last two years are, are things where people, I think, have been more drawn to spirituality, more drawn to faith, more drawn to religion, because they're finding that there are a lot of struggles that the world and, I mean, the government are, are heaping on them. And, and in so many ways, that was taken away from people. Right. And the government, uh, right at the outset of this, declared churches and, and other religious uh, venues to be um, non-essential. And that was that was our big beef right from the beginning. Uh, you know, Pastor Hildebrandt, uh, I helped him get his uh, his drive-in services legalized. We, we managed to have the government walk that back after we sued them way back in the beginning. 
in those early days, it seemed like maybe, you know, the government still had some respect for the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, because when you drew it to their attention that they were overstepping, they did pull back. But it seems as we've gone on, they've become more and more emboldened. Uh, they've dug deeper. Um, you know, they've they've been more egregious in what they've what they've pushed forward. And they are denying people. Um, well, everyone is impacted nowadays. It's not just churchgoers, but but um, certainly at this time, you would think that people would, would need those services, need the access to that community more and more. And, you know, a lot of what I've been reading and thinking about lately is um, just, you know, how our society was so susceptible to all of this and mm-hmm. some of the darker sides of, of things that we're seeing now with these vaccine mandates, uh, our fellow citizens being um, really quite... Uh, well, I don't even know what the word is, callous towards their fellow citizens. Um, how do we get to a point like that? And I do think that the lack of community, the lack of, of connection, the lack of roots that we experience in our society and have over a number of decades is kind of coming to, uh, to, to fruition here. We, the people who are connected in communities seem to be doing better. Uh, and the churches provide that for people. Um, without it, a, a, lot, uh, a lot of folks are left kind of you know, drifting in the breeze sort of thing. Pastor Rock, I know a lot of Christians, and some may argue this is to their detriment, tend to shy away from politics, or certainly individual churches as institutions try to avoid politics. Now, I think that becomes very difficult when politics is, is directly impeding your ability to uh, to function and your ability to gather for worship. But but was being political, was this something that w- was uncomfortable for you initially, or was this something that you've always welcomed when it comes up? I wasn't as political as I am now because I've become more awakened to the fact that politics isn't primarily about building roads and bridges anymore. It's about false ideologies. It's about the government taking a status position, a totalitarian position, literally seeking to control every single aspect of people's lives, right down to their expressions of faith, how they spend their money, whether they can work or not, how far they need to be removed from a loved one, these sorts of things. So I think historically, I just did a podcast on this that'll come out today. Historically, Christians sort of had the notion politics has no place in the pulpit. I think that's a myth, actually, because if you're silent on some of the tyranny or the cultural wars that we're fighting, that's a political statement. So you basically have a choice to follow the politically correct narrative or to push back like Elijah did to Ahab or Joseph did to or Moses did to Pharaoh and to hold the state to account to govern in a lawful, moral way. So, yeah, we're, we're engaging more of the issues. And, you know, as per Lisa's comment, they just seem to be building and stacking up one upon the other day after day. And Pastor Hildebrand, I mean, a similar question to you. You've been speaking in, in front of large uh, a, a large groups of, of anti-lockdown rallies and, and so on, and a lot of these people I, I know are not Christians, and they may not have ever heard someone preach before, so this is you going into a world that I don't think you had uh, previously to the pandemic, but same question. I mean, was this uncomfortable for you, this idea of, of taking on a, a political fight as much as your religious fight? It's definitely something that we have not done before, as you uh, imagine. Uh, I think Lisa and Aaron said it so well. Uh, I don't think we have a choice at this point but to take a stand because it's not that we as the church have gone into the lanes of the politic, but it's the other way around. They have stepped into God's lane, so to speak, and we either let them uh, rule us and tell us and shut us down and uh, do with the churches whatever they feel like doing, 
or we take a stand, but it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to do. But what has comforted me is, as Pastor Rock already mentioned, is just look in the Bible. It does. You don't have to search very far. Look at Jesus himself. And he's our prime example of our preacher. He dealt with the issues of the day, straightforward, head on. And I don't think we have a choice but to do otherwise. I mean, to me, I look at uh, situations like, so we have over a thousand recorded pages in Fox Book of Martyrs. Why, what was wrong with these people? Why, why, were they, why were they killed? Why were they burned at the stake? It was because of civil disobedience. And I think to a large degree, people today don't realize anymore that as Christians, there comes a time when we have to do that. We have to obey God rather than men. That's, I think, a very interesting point you raised, Pastor, and I'm going to revisit that in a moment, but I I want to turn to you first, Lisa, because I've heard a lot of people that have said, well, yeah, I support religious freedom, but oh, I don't like what this church teaches, or oh, I don't like how this pastor, not referring to to present company, uh, might speak out about X issue or or something like that. People do this when it comes to free speech as well. They say, well, yeah, I support free speech, but maybe I don't like that particular expression. And I, I do think that in some ways we've seen the last two years has made some strange bedfellows, so to speak, of of people that are coming at this from all different angles that might not agree on, on some core ideals, but they do agree on, on some of the bigger picture items. But, but I also see some people that have decided, well, maybe this isn't the hill to die on. Well, that's true. Um, you, you know, I think Pastor Hildebrand has certainly seen this with his church, that he's actually, um, he's now ministering to a a much broader group of people than he would have expected to. And I'm sure Pastor Rock as well, but um, you know, there are a lot of people who are finding them through, through all of, all of this that's going on. There are some very interesting uh, realignments that are going on as more and more people start to become uncomfortable with where the society is going. They wouldn't have necessarily been on the same page before, but but are now prepared to take up the cause a bit more and, and do recognize that religious freedom is kind of the canary in the coal mine for uh, for a liberal society. Uh, you know, it might seem counterintuitive, but, but it, you know, we have to, in a liberal society, we, we do, um, and that's small L liberal, we do protect the individual rights to to worship the way we want and to believe what we want and to speak how we how we wish um, and as we start to see more and more pressures on on churches to conform with these sort of statist ideologies um, you know that that's an alarm bell that we ought not to miss and so you know I think maybe some of these things were percolating in the background before and and more people and people weren't as aware of them unless they were actively in the Christian faith. But a lot of what's gone on over the last 20 months has, um, has, has well, I think it's, wa- it's awakened a lot of people to, to other problems in our society that they may not have been aware of before. So in some ways, it's good. In other words, you know, we're sort of getting a mass red, red pilling going on uh, that, that would have taken a lot longer to achieve uh, as to where the, where the weaknesses and fault points, fault lines are in our society. Have you been seeing that just in your your conversations with your congregation, Pastor Rock, that there are more people that are awakening, not just to some of the spiritual truths you've been preaching, but but even some of these societal level issues that Lisa has just alluded to? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we would attribute it to a worldview crisis. So we have for many years in our country peddled humanism, secularism, the myth that secularism is spiritually neutral, the myth of the secular state. And people have sort of gone along to get along, assuming that if we just sort of have this broadly secular mindset that everyone sort of can fit in. But what we're discovering is secularism is actually a religious worldview in and of itself. 
and it assigns ultimate morality and law to the state. So if the state says this is right and this is wrong, then it becomes right and wrong. And then out of that, that sets the, the perfect atmosphere milieu for totalitarianism. And so I think, I think people are awakening to the fact that, yeah, there's all these little issues we're fighting. So lockdownism, medical tyranny, Bill C4, all these different issues that we're fighting in culture. But the, 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 the ultimate problem is a broken worldview that has denied the supremacy of God and has rooted human law and civil law and criminal law in a humanity. And the state, of course, represents that. So whoever happens to be in office at the time decides what's right and wrong. And so we have really a, a breakdown of, um, of um, social order because every man is doing what's right in his own eyes, so to speak, or every state is doing what is right in his own eyes. Yeah, and, and to you, Pastor Hildebrandt, I'll, I'll add to that. It's the idea of secularism is supposed to be, in its purest form, about uh, a society that is religiously neutral, or a government that's religiously neutral, not anti-religious. And, and I do feel that that's a very important distinction here. It's one thing for the state to be a-religious, it's another for it to be targeting religion. I think, as Lisa said earlier, I think uh, I felt that a big attack on churches was when, at the very beginning, they made it so clear that church was non-essential. Uh, and I think that was, that was a, well, I know it was a bad mistake to say that and to think that to, and to act like it. And we are still standing on it as we would have right from the beginning that church is essential and it's not hard to give the reasons. I mean, look at the time we're in right now. Um, there's more people seeking God. There's more people wanting help now than ever before. I mean, our, our workload is, has doubled and multiplied. It's obvious, it's obvious that church is very essential. But I think over the past decades, the big mistake we have made, and we're speaking generally, is that we've let that slip. I don't think it came overnight. I think just in the last decades, um, just grew callous to it and just accepted it that the state of course they have their our best in mind and now we all of a sudden see that they don't and church is not essential in their eyes and they they sure made sure that everybody um uh, noticed that and saw that but i think it's it's definitely going going under gone in the wrong direction just looking at, I mean, the panel we have today and, and also other cases that have been of note across the country, Lisa, whether it was the arrest of, of Archer Pulowski, James Coates, Tim Stevens, Tobias Tisson. I mean, one thing that they have in common is they're all Protestant Christian ministers and Protestant Christian churches. Have we seen any of these measures directed towards non-Christian houses of worship? And, and again, I, I, to be fair, the absence of that doesn't mean that anything untoward has happened. If, if some of those other uh, houses of worship have not been as as vocal in these things, but I'm not. I've not come across any cases that don't fit that narrow categorization. Yeah, neither have I, um, and I don't know if it's because they've flown under the radar better or whether they were just following the rules better. Uh, and I don't. I don't want to make any assumptions either about that. But um, certainly, I, I do think that there was a, a certain amount of targeting that was going on over the last year, two years, uh, of of particularly certain certain Christian groups, uh, those that were more outspoken, particularly. I mean, I, you know, I get contacted by the media and, and certainly did when I was with the Justice Centre uh, quite frequently. Um, but the mainstream media was really only interested when there was a pastor who was in trouble. And, and then they were all over that story. 
Um, otherwise, they weren't interested. They weren't interested in the violation of, of civil liberties. They were interested in getting the dirt on some pastor that had stepped out of line. Um, and then, you know, the other thing was I, citizens were, were targeting churches. Uh, I was hearing stories of small country churches, Mennonite churches, for example, with, with people driving up and down the roads looking for, for them to have cars in the parking lot on a Sunday that, that shouldn't have been there and then reporting it to the police. Um, you know, so, and meanwhile, the Costco was open and, and there was just a lot of inconsistencies along the way that made that extra offensive. Um, but this, this sort of follows on a pattern that pre-existed the, the COVID-19 as well, which is that increasingly the, the state has been encroaching on uh, religions and demanding fealty to uh, certain views that are supposed to be supposed to be the consensus views in this country, but which many Christians have a, a problem with. Um, so, so the federal attestation in order to get summer job grants, uh, the Trinity Western case, uh, I had a case still uh, with the Justice Center now, but um, uh, involving a prospective foster parent not able to foster children, infants, because of his Christian beliefs. Um, <clears throat> you know, so there, there's been this kind of targeting of Christianity to some degree already, and uh, I just I think that that just was given an opportunity. They, people people who didn't like uh, Chris, don't like Christians were given an opportunity to target them more during the the last twenty months. Pastor Hildebrand, I know this has happened with your church and your community, and again, you're from a smaller town. The old traditional vision of that is a sense of community and being good neighbors and, and good citizens, but I, I know you have had people in your town that have very much turned on you and, and your church for taking the stands that you are. So, I mean, perhaps there's a general point here about the, the state of community or, or lack thereof now, but but did this surprise you, that, that your church was, to a lot of people, no longer a part of your community, but painted as the problem in the community? Very much so. Uh, I am still in shock to see, uh, I mean, we've, I'm, I'm not new to Elmer. We're not new. We've been here the last 30 years and uh, we're very much seen as part of the community and we're obviously we did our part to make that work and provided jobs and work in the, in the local uh, workplaces and whatnot. For it to change overnight like this, I was shocked at the targeting. I was shocked at how quickly that could change where um, a friendship that you thought was there or a, a reputation that was built up over the years of the people knowing us as a, a community friendly people that how fast, how fast, how overnight that changed. And not just that they didn't accept it, but uh, vandalism uh, was a part of it. And I mean, banging on our windows at three o'clock in the morning and just, uh, unreal, just unreal, uh, just the way people were acting towards me, towards the church uh, members and whatnot. Very, very troubling. I, I would have never, never thought that, that that could come so quick. I know Windsor's not a, a small town as much, uh, Pastor Rock, but in general, when you talked earlier about people in your congregation who have lost their jobs, who have faced some of that, there is still a, a significant aspect in these times of, of citizens turning on each other, of, of people putting these division lines in society, separating them from their, their fellow men and women. Yeah, I mean, I mean, early on, I think we've all been targeted on social media. You get hate messages and people telling you, I wish you were dead or... You know, I've, we've had members of our own family chased out of grocery stores and said, you know, I, I hope your family dies, your mother dies, your kid dies, your uncle dies, and all this sort of stuff. So you get the verbal onslaught. 
a little bit of vandalism. We had roofing nails scattered in our parking lot. It punctured about four tires on four different cars. So we had that. Um, lots of surveillance. We've had people come in and take secret pictures even two weeks ago in our service and submit those to the authorities. So we've had to heighten our security in that regard. So we've had those sorts of things take place. Um, I will say just in reference to your previous question, the, the Orthodox Jewish community in Toronto has been fairly vocal uh, against the lockdowns and we worked with them early on. They perhaps didn't take as much heat because um, you know their laws require the 10 men for a quorum and they were able to receive that early, early on which led from the uh, movement of minimum of five to a minimum of 10 for worship services. So they've kind of been involved in this and taken some heat as well. But I think the reason why Christian churches, especially Protestant churches tend to be targeted is because like it or lump it, the Western world was originally known as Christendom. And so the Judeo-Christian ethics were part and parcel of our law and our culture and our system. And those have largely become out of vogue so in many respects, there's a certain undercurrent in culture that would say, yeah, you know what? The Judeo-Christian ethic is kind of old fashioned. It kind of gets in the way. So let's, let's make way for new worldviews. And so I think that is probably one of the underlying reasons why Christian or Christianized people tend to be targeted maybe a little bit more than other groups. And I would point out as well that you know, a lot of people, and I've said this on the show in the past, a lot of people would withstand a lot if it were just for two weeks, that proverbial two weeks to flatten the curve where the government wasn't forcing it as much. You could have just as a good citizen said, OK, I'm going to agree to to do X or refrain from, from doing Y. But a lot of this a lot of these conflicts we've seen between government and civil liberties, government and the church, are, are not temporary. They're proving to be enduring. And, and just uh, earlier this month, New Brunswick put out its own rules in which they've said that churches will have to start checking vaccine passports unless they agree to do a bunch of things like no singing, mandatory masking, social distancing, these things. So the idea of putting a vaccine passport on church has now been tried, at least in, in some form. So, so Lisa, I do think this underscores the point Point that it is paramount to address these concerns now rather than just waiting them out, as some people have suggested. Right. And but those challenges have already been been undertaken uh, to some degree. I mean, there have been cases trying to challenge the restrictions on religious liberty throughout the pandemic, and, and they've been unsuccessful so far. And that's not to say that they will continue to be unsuccessful, but and, and there are still cases before the courts. Uh, and nothing has gotten to the appellate level, I will emphasize as well, which which may make uh, all the difference. Um, but but nonetheless, we're we're seeing this sort of snowball effect uh, through, across the country. And, and as we learn more about, about the limitations of the vaccines, it seems that the doubling down on, you know, insisting that every single person get one, um, you know, man, woman, child, baby and zoo animal, um, we, you know, and it doesn't make any sense that it's continuing to be enforced. The evidence has been clear for many, many months. I remember speaking about this in the spring, that there was no evidence that um, that these vaccines were designed to stop transmission. So there should be no case for a vaccine passport. It's, it's purely a private benefit. If you want it, great, have it. You know, maybe it'll save you from a hospital trip. That's super. Um, we should declare victory and move on. Uh, but instead, we've moved into this just un unreal situation. I mean, I'll just say the, the work that I've been doing since I started my own practice a couple of months ago has been almost exclusively around these vaccine mandates and uh, uh, university students being kicked out of school. Uh, their mental health, nobody cares about their mental health. Uh, these kids have gone through so much. People being 
terminated from their jobs and the rest of society saying, who cares if they don't get any safety net, uh, throw them to the, throw them to the streets. Um, and now we've got places like New Brunswick talking about banning or banning people, or at least opening the door, I should say, to banning people from grocery stores uh, if, if, the, if the store wants to implement a passport like that. So, uh, you know, we, um, we should be stopping it, but it just seems to be picking up speed and, and getting uglier and uglier by the day. I don't know where this goes, but we need to be thinking about safety nets for, this, for these people who are going to be uh, in very dire situations come, you know, as we head into winter here. Um, and as for the churches, yes, I, you know, I, I, when you see stuff like that happening, you know, it's just a matter of time. Uh, before they start implementing these these measures more widely, uh, and it's not optional anymore. So, uh, by all means, you know everybody who's concerned about this should be putting pressure on their politicians. These are not thing these are not things that are based in science. They are based on politics and polling, and the culture generally. And so that's where the decisions have to be changed. The the mindsets have to be changed. So everybody needs to get vocal about this and fast. Yeah, and I'll go to you on this, Pastor Rock. I think you tweeted about the the grocery store uh, example a, a few days ago when this first came up. And uh, one thing there that I, I find fascinating is that the joke that a lot of uh, Christian friends I know used to make is we'd all say, well, you know, we should just have our church in the Costco or have our church in the grocery store. And, and even now that might be off the table for people who are unvaccinated. So this idea of essential, non-essential uh, is, is morphing very dramatically or has morphed very dramatically to if you're unvaccinated, you're not even entitled to go get food necessarily. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're tightening the screws. I mean, apparently people haven't read a lot of history recently because while the circumstances are different, these are the classic movements of despots and tyrants. So you, you, you fire people, you actually put them on unpaid leave. You don't allow them to apply for EI. You threaten to permanently fire them, fire them if they take a side job to try to pay for groceries. But then you ban them potentially from the grocery stores to buy groceries. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I'm surprised there hasn't been riots in the streets yet. Nobody wants to see that. But you're, you're literally whittling people's freedoms down so that their most basic human needs, employment, food, becomes increasingly unavailable to them. And uh, we don't know where this is headed, but unless the brakes are put on pretty quickly, it's probably going to get even worse than this. And I think what happens is these sort of little measures that they put out, these little threats or these, these laws are sort of tested in one jurisdiction. And if, if society doesn't say anything, the populace doesn't rise up, then it starts to spread across the country. So where we don't have, for example, mandatory vaccine passports in Ontario, but the health unit will come and say, hey, you know, if you want to be a good little boy, if you put your vaccine passports on the people in your church, then we'll let you open up a little bit more. We'll let you have a few more people in. So they're sort of testing the waters. And unfortunately, a lot of churches are now requiring vaccine passports when they're not even required by the state. And the state looks at that and says, well, if the rest of churches don't seem to mind doing it, let's just make a, a blanket law. So uh, it, it is quite tyrannical. And as Lisa said, it's, you know, I've gotten to know a lot about politics in the last couple of years. So much of this is driven by political liability a desire to be reelected and public polling. It's not driven by the science. It's not driven by the medicine really at all. 
You just brought up a, a point I, I wanted to get to, Pastor Rock, so thank you for providing the, the natural segue there, which is the uh, power that exists in these unelected local health authorities. I, I know you, Pastor Hildebrandt, have been up against this in uh, Elgin County, where Elmer is. You had the local health department a while ago ask you to voluntarily shut your doors, and I remember reporting because I got documents through Freedom of Information that showed when they did that, they were considering shutting you down involuntarily if you didn't comply. Now, the health unit didn't do that, but they would have had the power to under, I, I believe, what's called a, a Section 22 order. So the, the, these local public health officials, which tend to fly under the radar in terms of scrutiny, and they certainly don't have democratic accountability, do have a lot of power. They do. They do. And they have way too much power. Uh, unelected officials, um, and they come across, I know it might be a little strong to say it like this, but they, they, act, they act as if they're God. And I think uh, Edmund Burke said that one time. He said, when, when, when humans uh, try to act like God, uh, they behave like devils. And, and it, it truly is that way. You know, what's shocking to me is, so just was it two weeks ago, our, all of a sudden our health official here in Elgin County, uh, just all of a sudden he's just, just one line in the London Free Press, just saying he, he's no longer there. Mr. Summers is in. We still don't know what happened. What happened is he... Was he very sick or did he resign? Did he change his mind? What happened? Just quietly, he's gone. The next one is in. Why is this? What's the secrecy? Like, what, what, is, what is going on here? I heard there's also similar things happening in Saskatchewan, I think, as we speak, or has just happened. Why is that? Why is there? What's the, what's the like I said, what's the secrecy about it? But in my mind, they have far, far too much power. Um, like Lisa said earlier, if people want that, have it, do it. But where is our freedom? Who has the right to demand of me to, to uh, ex uh, expose my medical situation or tell people where I am, where I stand medically, whether I'm vaccinated or not? Why am I forced to, to de declare it? Yeah, and Lisa, I mean, prior to last year, I had never read into the act that gave them these powers. And admittedly, when I did, I was shocked at just how much was there. The only thing you're you're limited by, or the only thing they're limited by, is perhaps their own uh, self-determined restraint, which for public health officials hasn't uh, been as ubiquitous as perhaps we'd like to see. I mean, this is a huge, huge gap in the law. Well, it's perfectly legal. Uh, you know, we have a system of legislative supremacy and the government can make whatever laws it wants. And it made laws that delegated significant powers to public health officials, which, you know, most of us had never really seen them used before. Uh, who knew that they had public health officials that, uh, you know, in, in such number in this province, um, you know, they were really not part of our daily lives. But all of a sudden, they had these powers pre-existing the uh, COVID-19 and, and they uh, there are very few limits on them. Basically, if there's a presence of a contagious disease, they have pretty much unlimited powers, as far as I can tell. So, and yes, it's contagious, but there doesn't seem to be much in the way of, um, you know, built-in restraint on, on, you know, how contagious and, and how, you know, how, how virulent and, and who's it impacting and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, all these measures are subject to the Constitution, of course, to the Charter of Rights, but... Uh, um, but they aren't going to be found to be in violation of that. Um, so it really is up to the government to say, okay, you know, we're going to pass legislation that, that limits this. And, and they haven't been They're They're quite happy to, I don't know, keep this going. I mean, I, I'm really quite surprised by it. There've been a number of off ramps that were available to the government along the way. Um, and they haven't taken them. I, I don't quite understand it. So 
Now, what do you what do you mean by off ramps there? Well, like I said earlier, you know, when uh, when the vaccines became readily available in this country and uh, accessible to the elderly and the vulnerable who, you know, as we anyone who looks at the statistics, and I don't think most people do, frankly, because I, I think most people seem to think that this is absolutely dire for, for all age groups and, and all, you know, measures of, of health. Uh, but it's not. I mean, this has been an age stratified uh, disease from day one, and, and we could recognize that back as early as March of 2020. Um, you know, the vast majority of people who have been um, who have passed away have been uh, very elderly and, and with multiple comorbidities. Um, it doesn't mean that it never hits uh, younger people, but other other contagious diseases do as well sometimes. And it's, it's just it's an unfortunate part of life. Um, but nonetheless, once those vaccines became available and we were able to protect our vulnerable much better because they did el- eliminate, um, at least for a while, um, the severity of the outcomes. That's when the governments probably could have said, all right, you know, great job. We've done it. We've, we've got shots in the arms of everybody who needs it. It's time to move on. The rest, for most other people, it's going to be relatively harmless um, and, and we'll manage. You know, we'll build up uh, some intensive care capacity so that if, if there are problems, we can, we can um, you know, accommodate. But, but they never really did that. And remember, the whole flatten the curve notion from the beginning was not crushing COVID. It was flattening it so that we didn't have to deal with everybody being sick at once. We were There was never at the outset this idea that we would eradicate the virus from the face of the earth. But that has that is now the policy, it would seem, to eradicate it from the face of the earth and, and come hell or high water. And, and uh, I think we're getting both, frankly. Uh, just as we close here, Pastor Rock, let me ask you, because Lisa has indicated the uh, difficulty in, in getting some successful judicial orders on, on a lot of these things when they've gone before the court. We certainly know politicians are, are not making the right choices because it's their restrictions that have put us into the situation we've spent the last uh, you know 30-some-odd minutes describing. So where do you feel the, the best chance of, of victory is on this? Well, first of all, I'm not optimistic, and I never have been optimistic. I've never been the type to go around and say, you know, take the tickets, you're going you're gonna to beat them, they're going to get thrown out of court. I don't believe that at all. I, I would be more apt to think that, that we will lose in court, actually. I'm not saying that because I'm a pessimist. I just see the trajectory of our culture. Um, I think a lot of the judicial decisions seem, as far as I can tell, to be based upon whatever the medical expert of the moment happens to say, and whatever direction the wind is blowing in culture. Um, And when we have our federal judges coming out, sort of revealing that they're all vaccinated, I I think that's inappropriate in a culture where people are going to court over vaccination issues. Um, We have all sorts of virtue signaling on every level of government. Anybody in a position of power is essentially going along with the government narrative. So it doesn't give the um, person that chooses not to comply or chooses to believe in an alternative narrative, much hope. But at the same time, you know, we've seen cultures throughout history that have fallen into the abyss and then something wonderful and miraculous happens. There's revival and restoration and they come out of it. So our, our decision to not comply and to move forward was not based upon pragmatic considerations of winning in court. It was based upon principle. And so no matter what they throw at us, I mean, obviously, we don't want to just cast all our pearls before swine, but no matter what they throw at us, ultimately, we know we win because Christ wins. And we're, we're going to hold to our principles, regardless of what the courts choose to say or not say. 
We want to be respectful of the courts. We'd, we'd much rather honor, work with, have good relationships with government officials. But at the same time in our lifetime, we're not going to be complicit in tyranny or statism or totalitarianism or things that we would consider to be unbiblical or immoral. I'll put the same question to you, Pastor Hildebrandt. I think uh, Pastor Rock said it very, very well. Uh, yes, we will do our best we can. We will, and I'm presently doing whatever I can, work with the local authorities, do whatever we can. But there is no giving up in me or giving in whatsoever. We know what the Bible teaches. We know what we should be doing. And like uh, Lisa said earlier, I, I, my, I, I just think people rise up, stand up, not in a, not in a, uh, what's it called? Not in a uh, militant way or in an in a aggressive way, but stand up uh, because that's the only way. That's the only way that I can see, and that's the only thing that has helped us here locally. Is they 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 realize that there's nothing, there's nothing that they can throw at, at us that would change our mind. As a matter of fact, and that this is biblically the same way. The more you pressure the people of God, the more ups the more determined we get. And I'll close with the same question to you, Lisa. Where do you think the best avenue of success is here if it's not going to be through the courts? Coming back to what your question was, is was there much hope for success? Was that where you were? I mean, I feel, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a different spin on it and say, where do you think the best chance of success is, if not the courts? I, it's, it's in changing hearts and minds. And I will make a plug right now for um, the Free North Declaration, which some colleagues and I have put up, um, which is designed to, uh, to, to just let people know that there are, other, there are other opinions out there, that they're not alone. Um, when we're in a situation like this, where people are getting caught up in, in what I would, I would say is sort of a mass panic, uh, people need to know, because some people are not as susceptible to that, but, but they go along to get along. And so for that middle ground, those those folks need to know that they that there are other opinions out there. They need to be encouraged to to start digging a little deeper and to speak up. And so uh, so we've we're, we're trying to get that narrative out there a little bit more uh, and, and let people know, because ultimately, the bottom line is it's got to change in the culture. You've got to have people want this to be over. That was always the way with pandemics. I remember posting about this uh, on Twitter back in the spring of 2020, like when do pandemics end? Uh, there was there were articles from New York Times and so on predating COVID uh, that said basically it ends when people say it's over um, when, when people are no longer afraid and unfortunately we have not been given the, the the opportunity to make that decision ourselves because our authorities have have put these rules in place that prevent us from from saying it's over right I mean, for a lot of people it's over it's been over for a long time but they're not allowed to go out without their masks or do all the things that would that would send that message to their fellow citizens that, hey, we're okay, you know, it's, it's gonna be okay. And now we're talking again about school closures and, and so on coming up in Ontario. And it's it's just like, anyway, we, we, we need people to just, um, you know, start start expressing themselves much more uh, vocally about this. Tell your friends and neighbors, say, say to folks at the, at the cash register and people you meet in the streets, uh, boy, things don't add up, do they? And And, well, I'm sure I'm tired of this and I don't want to, you know, we ought not to be damaging the kids' futures anymore and start, see, you know, seeding the doubt, I guess, so that people start to wake up a little bit to this. And that's where it's got to change. 
Very well said. That is Lisa Bildy, lawyer and founder of Libertas Law, and also Pastor Henry Hildebrandt of the Church of God in Elmer, and Pastor Aaron Rock of Harvest in Windsor. All three of you, this was a oddly an optimistic discussion in the grand scheme of things, just because I, I know we have such uh, strong and principled folks like yourselves on the front lines of this. So thank you very much for joining me, and Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas. You're welcome. Same to you. Well, again, I mean, not, not a really easy discussion to have, because you hear about all these just horrible things that have happened to churches, to places of worship, and not just to churches, but to the people who go to those churches. That's, I think, one of the key distinctions that's been lost a lot in the last two years, is that when the government shuts down a church, it doesn't just shut down a building. It shuts down a building that has tremendous spiritual significance to hundreds and hundreds of people. So I do think it's important to view it through that lens. In any case, we've got to end things there. My thanks to our three fantastic panelists and all of you for tuning in. Let me know what you think. My email, andrew at andrewlawton.ca. We'll be back soon with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.